around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What happened? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam. <laughs> you're, you're looking a little wrung out, my friend. It's a, you're, You are on day 10 of 10 days of your special person being away from home. Right. She's on a big work trip all over the East Coast. Gallivanting, yep. I would say. Yeah. Work trip, heavy finger flexions. It was probably mostly vacation, right? No, I would never accuse her of having a work a work trip that's actually a vacation. <laughs> that would never be what I would think in that direction. Not a chance. No. But you're right. It is day 10 out of 10. Also, the sole proprietor of Puppy in the meantime has become kind of your thing. Yeah. I, 10 days. I didn't leave anything for the swim back, Ben. Like I have <laughs> I have exactly enough energy to make it until my wife gets home tonight at around 11. Yeah. And then uh, finally the house <laughs> will be in order. <laughs> it's been hard, man. I, I thought like five or six days in, I was like, yeah, this is fine. This is great. It's totally working. But then she stopped sleeping through the night. Oh. And the whole fragile mental house of cards started to crumble <laughs> over the weekend and now we're into the middle of the week and i'm like getting that 3 a.m wake up hmm. that like parents of babies are going through all the time i know i know lots of people do this that's fine i don't this is hard for me <laughs> somebody on the greatest gen subreddit i want to say i've been all over the the social medias lately the Max Fun Drive going. God, how could you go to the Reddit, man? Uh, somebody posted the just got a puppy starter pack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was destroyed clothes, destroyed hands, destroyed house, destroyed garden, destroyed yeah. sleeping pattern, or the, <laughs> or the elements of the starter pack. I think I've changed in front of you before for live shows. Uh-huh. And I know you've seen like the John Rambo-esque scars across my chest and back. <laughs> She's definitely, uh, I mean, she doesn't have puppy teeth anymore. So at least that aspect has gone away. But the rest of it remains. Yeah. I've got an interesting thing going on with her lately. I don't know if Darwin has this problem, but Ripley is afraid of the wind. Whoa. And so when it's windy on our walks, she hates it. Yeah, and you guys live pretty close to the water over there, so. And guess what, Ben? I hate the wind too now. (laughs) I hate it. I want it to stop blowing because when it blows, Ripley stops walking. (laughs) It's not a good walk when it's windy. (laughs) Wow. I'm due for a haircut, getting a haircut tomorrow. Wow. But I'm I'm in that like three or four days where it will fall into my eyes if I'm not wearing a hat or being careful about it. Uh-huh. The wind can really exacerbate that situation. So I've I, been a long hairman for a long time. I know the feeling. Yeah. It's no good. Get that hair cut off. Cut it off. Yeah. I'm that, doing the that's... Uncle Jesse hand motions. <laughs> To your hair. <laughs> Cut it off, but the gesture is like a Lars von Trier film where like <laughs> the cutting is happening below the belt. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, whoever's editing this episode, have fun pulling that clip. <laughs> Adam, I, uh, I'm sorry to hear it. I, I, I don't want you to hate the wind. What if we want to go on a sailing trip sometime? I know. The, the puppy has reframed my outlook on a lot of things. Man. Sleep, never more valuable. Wind, never more hated. <laughs> Private alone time, never more desired. Yeah, yeah. I'm going out for the weekend for my birthday. Going out to Palm Springs with my wife. That's going to be great. You deserve it. Yeah. Palm Springs is where it swings. It's never windy there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, this episode will come out after I'm back. So don't look for me in Palm Springs. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be gone. I'll be into the wind. You are really paranoid about like letting people know when you're out of town. (laughs) I mean, you've heard the same stories I have, I have. from fellow famouses. We're not famous, though. <laughs> famous enough. Mm, I don't think so. I think not. Yeah. Who would be interested in a closer relationship with you, Ben? No, Nobody. <laughs> Zero people. Do you want to get into the episode today, Adam? Yeah, I feel like our Marin is about as long as the last time on... For this episode of Star Trek Picard, Ben, it's the season finale of Star Trek Picard season two. It's episode 10. It's called Farewell. Farewell. An opportunity to say Sherrod was not taken in this episode. (laughs) The game is over. The game that we've placed our bets on. And so by the end of this episode, we will have discovered where we've won and we've lost on our predictions. Yeah. Hopefully someone's been keeping track. The uh, Bajoran tablet also does not make an appearance. So many things just absolutely baffling about what happened in this this season. I think you're right to be upset for the Bajoran tablet head fake there. Like, why make a teaser that doesn't tease? Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, there was a trailer for the movie Men in Black, which I was very excited to see. Oh, Will Smith, one of the best. Yeah. A perfect man and, and uh, never never made a single mistake in his life. But uh, there's a scene in the trailer where Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are pulling crazy alien ray guns out of the trunk of a car and getting uh-huh. ready to face some unseen threat. And they're like, you know how to use these things? No idea whatsoever. Uh huh. Not a line in the movie. Not a not a moment in the movie because Tommy Lee Jones knows how everything works in the movie, and Will Smith is the stranger in a strange land that is, uh, you know, our proxy. Right. As he learns about this secret behind the scenes world that none of us are aware of. Yeah. I think they shot that scene just for the trailer, and I'm wondering, did they get the Bajoran tablet prop out of cold storage over at Paramount? throw it on the desk in Picard's office and take footage of it just to throw us off. I want to rewatch that teaser with this new perspective. Yeah. With the perspective of, did they even know, like, because we know they did a ton of reshoots. They they did a ton of ADR for this season. Yeah. Did they know what the story was when they <laughs> made that teaser or were they guessing? Yeah. Well, there will be time travel, so you'll have to have the Bajoran tablet involved. 
you know, Avery Brooks said he'd call us back. So <laughs> I think I'm feeling pretty good about a Bajoran tablet storyline here, guys. <laughs> hey, does anybody have his current number? I think he moved since the last time we uh, shot anything with him. I keep leaving messages like it's definitely like the robot answering machine message and not his voice saying to leave a message. So, I mean, I'm just going to assume that it's going to the right place. (laughs) This episode opens with the gang standing around in the shot up chateau and Picard is talking about how the bullet holes in the walls of the chateau are something he remembers from when they moved in as a kid. And he was told that they were from World War II, but they were not. My father also told me about the many dangers of the dungeon. <laughs> I spent a career chasing holes of various kinds. Space buttholes, time buttholes, now Borg bullet holes. I could swear when I was down there, I could feel arms reach out for me, but it was too dark. <laughs> Do you think that means we're on the path to the right future? I'm not certain. Seven of nine still got blood all over her shirt. Can we get her a new shirt, guys? If only they could have used the replicator once before Nana Borati left. That would have been nice. Blood gets really gross just on a garment you're wearing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how long has she had that on? I don't know. Like half a day by now, right? If I were her, I would give some consideration to taking off the tank top and ditching it and then just zipping up the jacket and wearing it as a shirt. I agree, first of all. But second of all, Picard is always wearing four layers of clothes. Yeah. I think he's got something to give up. Yeah, but he's he's so old. He's probably freezing yeah. his ass off even with those four layers. He needs every layer. So they decide to split up. They're going to go as a gang to Soong's house and... Talon is going to go to the launch facility and make sure that Renee makes it onto that. And she is getting ready to smoky door them away. And Picard just kind of steps right in. He Dr. Jillian's himself into the smoky door. (laughs) You tricked me. You need me. He does this after catching eyes with Talon in a very emotional moment where they sort of recapitulate the whole idea of two Renee's. Yeah. One of them who lives and one of them who dies. And Talon seems to understand what this means exactly. And a moment later, Picard picks up what she's laying down. Yeah. You're talking about my nephew, right? In the future. And this is the reason Picard jumps through the door with her. Yeah. Everyone else seems to be surprised about this move because they appear from the smoky door in Talon's apartment where we finally see what's inside that weird room partition. <laughs> it's just a bunch of computers. Yeah. It's, they're on some charging mats in there. Various iPads. Yeah. She had some nice captain's trinkets on that thing, I, I will say. Yeah. The closer view, you see like she's got uh, like a medium format camera on there. She's got some mm-hmm. cool crap. I mean, if you're in shock, you could just sort of uh, recuperate on the bed back there, mm-hmm. the shock bed. <laughs> She's using that piece of furniture to kind of define the space, Adam. Right. After the theme, we're zooming around the cosmos, around Jupiter and back towards Earth, and finally down to the launch pad for the Europa mission. It's a feeling straight out of the Assignment Earth episode now. It may be just like the position of the sun in the sky and how this launch pad looks and the facility around it, but 
I mean, it was, I feel like it was more than a year ago that we saw the Assignment Earth episode and it really came flooding back yeah, into mind here. It really did. They did a nice job here. Uh, <laughs> apparently a one to, for one recreation of uh, Central Los Angeles High School for the Visual and Performing Arts has been built out in the Central Valley of California to serve as the command center for a launch complex. Really? <laughs> this is a very famous building in uh, in downtown LA. Oh, I'm I'm not familiar. I'm still a, a newly minted LA man. Yeah, I guess yeah. If if you're on the east side, it's something that uh, is pretty hard to ignore. If you're on Highway 101 headed toward downtown, but um, right, you're you're out there on the west side. You never have to look at that crap. Yeah, West Side uh, till I die. I guess that's what people say around here. <laughs> Picard. I mean, speaking of dying, Picard cannot let Talon die. Picard understands the score here, and already knows what she's planning to do. W slash R slash T saving Renee Picard. Yeah, and Talon takes great umbrage with the idea that it's up to him. It's not up to you. She doesn't like his patriarchal bullshit. Yeah. She kind of defuses him in an interesting way by going straight after what she learned spending time inside his brains and inside the dungeon of his childhood home. I think it was kind of an interesting conversation. Like, this is one of many, many scenes in this episode where I was, like, pretty amazed at the level that the scene got to just in terms of like being an interesting reflection on the character of Picard Mm -hmm. that just felt like it was like thrown in there and like blink and you miss it. Like this is actually like a very interesting observation because Picard is a guy who is used to having like lives of people in his hands Mm -hmm. and And he's used to lawyering the shit out of them. Yeah. And also accustomed to like ordering people to do things that may cause them to die. I don't often order people to do things that would save their own lives, which is what I am doing right now. (laughs) That being just kind of an instinct he has that she needs to diffuse, I thought was really interesting. But she kind of, I mean, Lawyer Picard loses the case here. (laughs) Lawyer Talon wins. Other people's choices are their own to make. And this one is mine. Yeah. I mean, she's hundreds of years old. Yeah. She's even lawyerier than he is. Yeah. She marches away and the camera just kind of lingers on him. And that's like the last time we see him for kind of a while. Yeah. Yeah. In a season finale of a show with his name on it. Yeah. The rest of the gang shows up at Casa de Sung and they find their way into his, uh, you know, mad scientist laboratory. It is empty. He is not there to defend it. They were expecting to find him, but they do not. They instead find the sound of his voice on tape. (laughs) This is something that makes more television sense than in-world sense. Because, like, I guess the idea is the, the sound of his voice led them astray, like, made them beam in when he wasn't there. Like, they... The voice was sufficient to <laughs> to trick them. Is yeah, that yeah? Is that what they're saying? I guess so. Because it's like pretty quickly that they're like radioing up to Picard, and Picard's like, "No, he's actually here." <laughs> Which, if you were to reverse the order of these moments, I think would be less silly, right? Maybe if Picard tells Seven Rios and Raffi while they're on the fucking 
inside the beaming safe yeah <laughs> that he's there right yeah i don't know i mean their idea is that they're gonna stop him but they realize like pretty quickly that he has left some killer drones behind right and maybe they should stop those instead and they open up the drone bay that he for some reason has in his house and these drones are right there like they could just i guess they're they're rigged to blow but yeah i was like just stick like a pencil in the rotor on each one and they're like they're not a threat anymore <laughs> it's interesting how talon's life is worth sacrificing for the sake of the mission and raffi 7 and rios's lives are unequal to that when faced with the same possibility like death is on the line here to save the Europa mission launch these drones are going to take it out and the idea that if they trip the wrong wire that is somehow too great of a risk to monkey around behind the the panel there yeah is a strange look they have a phaser that they could set to overload we've seen one of these phasers go off like a grenade already in this season leave that in that room leave the house We've seen a cabinet full of liquids. Yeah. You're telling me you couldn't uh, just dump a bunch of liquid <laughs> or the, or on those electronics? Teach the drones to love and then take love away from them so that they all cry and rust in that way? Mm. We don't have to mess with the drones at all if we could just keep that door locked also. <laughs> Lock the launch bay door, guys. Yeah, go up on the roof and like put... A piece of wood over top of the of the launch door. I think none of these ideas work because of the timeline here, right? Three minutes and 45 seconds is all they're given. This is like a MacGruber amount of time yeah. that they're given to solve this problem. And it is an impossible problem to solve in that amount. I need tools, pliers, scissors, whatever you can get your hands on. MacGruber! There is so much back and forth cutting in this opening set of scenes. Uh, Soong meets up with a lady who's there to give him his VIP tour of the launch complex. He really big dogs this handler lady. He wants to meet the astronauts. And uh, she's like, well, that they're in quarantine. Like, we can't let you do that. And he cites the size of his donation as reason for quarantine protocols to be broken. This might be a little bit of a of a hot comment mm. right after the Max Fun Drive bin, mm. but he's got that negative donor energy <laughs> that uh, that thinks giving support to a thing entitles them to something more than the gratitude that they get. Yeah. Did my donations not buy me five minutes of FaceTime? Talon's strategy for getting to meet the astronauts, despite the fact that they're supposed to be in quarantine, is to beat one of them up and steal her clothes. Is that what happens? (laughs) I think so, because the other lady is not there. Yeah, but I didn't... Like, there's not bloodstains on Maya's uniform when Talon puts it on. It's just the uniform. If there was a bloodstain on that, it would be a dead giveaway that she was not Maya. Do you think they toyed at all with Talon turning herself into Maya for this conversation, given what we learn about Talon's abilities after this? I wonder. I mean, she wants to reveal herself to Renee. and That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe she should have made herself look like Maya while she was walking through the facility, but she looks like Talon. Right. She, She walks in on Renee, who's in a room, I guess just some sort of room where she's supposed to get prepped in a green room 
if you will. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Renee is drinking a, a ranch water and she's enjoying a bunch of hummus. <laughs> she's putting a cold brew in her backpack for tomorrow morning. Uh, right. Yeah, she's a pro. Yeah. She's done this before. She does not want to wake up on the capsule tomorrow without that cold brew. No. Come on. There's no. You're not going to find a good coffee at 7 a.m. in space. No, sure not. The only thing available in space is a fucking Starbucks. I think we can do better than that. <laughs> Talon quickly defuses the Renee bomb here. Renee, rightfully, is scared. Who are you? Where's Maya? Like, this is a person she doesn't know wearing Maya's uniform who has yeah. gained access to the backstage area. She's like, are those, is that blood on your knuckles? Oh, no. Talon is like, I was there when your mom died. And Renee's like, not helping. <laughs> <laughs> I was also there the day your sailboat capsized. And Renee's like, again, <laughs> <laughs> not good news. And then she's like, and all those glances a few nights ago at the gala, you know, like, are you putting it together now? I've been with you the whole time. I'm like, Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> and Renee's like, I'm French. Can't you tell from my accent? I didn't grow up watching that film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the totality of these references does appear to move the needle in some direction with Renee, but it's unclear when the scene ends which direction it's moving. It's like a, hey, listen, your life really depends on you trusting me right now. And mm -hmm. uh, I know that's a lot to ask, but that's what I'm going to need you to do. Did you think for a moment that the necklace that Talon gave her was the same thing that Renee put in her mom's casket when she died? <laughs> <laughs> you reached in there? <laughs> You really shouldn't smell that. <laughs> the thing is, I thought it was mine because I lent her my uh -huh. necklace. <laughs> so my manager was there at the at the right. funeral and I went to his car and got his necklace out of his trunk and I was trying to swap them without anybody noticing. Oh good. <laughs> good. We cut to outside the room and Renee is running in a panic. Yeah. Toward Adam soon. Thank God. It's a crazy woman. She says she's my guardian from space. It's all right. It's all right. Come with me. And he puts his hand on her cheek and she's like, oh, dude, don't touch me. I don't know you like that. Big mistake. Yeah. Renee, because uh, she starts feeling sick pretty quickly here in the stairwell. The poison has started to do its poisonous work. Adam Soong had like a patch on his palm. Yeah. That transmitted it through his touch because he very conspicuously like touches the side of her head. Yeah. It's just like, uh, I think that's season two of 24. They kill the president. Oh, yeah. And sometimes when we touch, the poison's just too much. And I have to close my eyes and I die. That's as much as I wrote of that song. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. And that woke up the puppy. The mm. puppy hates my singing. <laughs> so Picard is introduced back into the story. He and Renee meet up. <laughs> Picard's like, where is the security? Where is any security? <laughs> they are the only two in this area of the compound. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rios is like piloting the drone 
that they've been able to take over manual control of to try and knock out the other three drones. Renee is dying in Picard's arms, and then she swipes her hand up and reveals herself not to be Renee, but in fact, Talon. Right. We get this concurrently with the launch of the Europa craft. Yeah. So I think the suggestion here is is a confusion about Renee being in Picard's arms, the craft taking off, and then we cut back to the reveal. Yeah, it's like all is lost, and then it's like, jokes, I'm actually Talon. Talon yeah. is the one who's dying. Pretty nicely done, I think. Yeah. But then there's this moment. <laughs> so it's Talon now. She's talking to Picard as she shuffles, leaves this mortal coil. I could not take my eyes off of Talon's ears in this scene. Mm -hmm. Did they stand out to you? They look digital. They look digital to me too. As if they shot the scene with her human ears and then decided after the fact that they needed to make a composite there with her Romulan ears. I thought the same thing. They were very conspicuously digitally affected. They looked weird. And yeah, I I mean, I don't know why her ears needed to look Romulan for this scene because they've looked human in so much of the season. But then I was also like preoccupied as she's passing away with the idea of like, what do you do if you have a Romulan corpse on a NASA <laughs> facility in 2024? Like, someone help me drag this body to the <laughs> incinerator. <laughs> Damn it, the rocket already went off. That would have been perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the, the dark version of this episode is Picard dragging her body to below the rocket. Because <laughs> this is, I mean, this episode is about tying off like a absolutely staggering number of loose threads. But this one remains untied off. And she's buying a smoky door <laughs> to heaven. <laughs> I've got a potentially stupid question to ask you, and I'm not afraid to ask a stupid question on this show. Clearly. Because it can be edited out later. (laughs) Is this what Talon really looks like? Or did Talon choose her appearance based on an idea of what she thought Picard would like to see and then used that as a way to manipulate him and his team? I like the theory because that is another thread that remains untied off in this episode is like, why did Talon look just like? Yeah. It it feels like in stories having to do with shapeshifters, there is frequently a moment where like, I've never shown you my true form. Right. Yeah. Well, here it is. It would blow your mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we never got that scene, which made me wonder if we just will never know. Here's what would have really sent me as if Talon had like, you know, wiped up to to reveal that it wasn't Renee, but it was Talon the whole time. And then uh-huh. wiped up again to reveal the traveler and been like, hey, listen, I know that uh, I looked like Laris this whole time. I was actually the guy with the lobster hands. I am a traveler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bring that guy back. <laughs> and Picard's like, oh, I I can't believe I kissed you. It was on the top of the head, but still. (laughs) Wait a minute. I was holding hands with you with our fingers interlocked. How does that work? (laughs) 
<laughs> so let's tie off the scene a little bit. Talon's dying words are, I think, interestingly used more to make Picard feel better instead of her own deal with the end of her life. There is some of that about her mission having succeeded and it being over and whatever, but her selflessness as a character is really coming to the fore here. And I think it's also a little unfortunate for how little we got to know her throughout the entire season, that this is a moment where we really could have, Mm -hmm. and she makes it about him before she dies. And I think that's too bad because I, I think there's a lot going on there that we'll just never know. Yeah. And I mean, questions about like, does death mean the same thing to a person of her ilk as it does to right. a uh, human or a Romulan? Who knows? Back at Soong's estate, he returns to find his lab pretty much smashed. And he's got, uh, you know, the live stream of the launch on his TV and he sees that Renee actual has made it onto the ship and is uh, giving a like a zoom interview as they launch. Brent Spiner's resting disgusted face is, I think, maybe so finely tuned that like all he can do to top himself in these scenes is throw shit. He throws shit four times this episode because I feel like he's already at the... (laughs) greatest distillation of disgust yeah as an actor like all he can do is get physical with the props yeah he's only gets more disgusted when he looks over at his other computer and sees that all the files are being deleted and if he's upset now (laughs) imagine how he's gonna feel uh when he tries to get into his tax documents later for a little comfort right and finds that they're all deleted god damn it yeah Deleted by his daughter, no less. Oh, <laughs> oh that is rough. <laughs> yeah, Corey is using her Spock helmet from an aisle in the library yeah. to delete her dad's files and to talk shit. Hi, Dad. What did you do? And there's a guy like trying to get past her, and she's like really kind of taking up the whole aisle. Yeah. He's like, hey, is there like any way you could like move over to a table and do that? Soong is running out of things to smash and throw onto the floor here, but uh, there is one thing mm. that gives him a little bit of comfort at the end. Soong is has failed, so he's going to try something else. Being a business mogul didn't work out for him, so he chooses to become a con man. That's great, man. That is really good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You always you always uh, give me really nice compliments when I do something like that. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> I just really like how that came together. Yeah. <laughs> the suggestion being that when all of your tax documents are deleted, mm-hmm. you got to go to the drawer. Yeah. And what's in the drawer is the raunchiest tax document folder of them all. It's so depraved, (laughs) so disgusting that you can only see it on the printed paper. Yeah, you don't want to risk having something like that on a network-connected computer. No. You You want to keep it in one of those desk drawers with that tiny key that you always end up losing. Project Con. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm sure we'll never find out what that was all about. Let them meet static. Yeah, it remains to be seen whether Project Khan is another Bajoran tablet. (laughs) 
But uh, we are not done in the library. Corey gets a message from a stranger about what comes next and an address on her computer. And we don't leave her. We stay with her as she goes to this address. And it is there that she meets the host of the ready room. (laughs) Hey, nerds, I'm Will Wheaton. (laughs) And the reason I describe Wesley Crusher as that is because I found this to be the oddest performance. It was a very weird performance. It's so matter of fact, like a guy telling you about it in line at a coffee shop and you're like, all right, man. I am a traveler of all of space and time. I'm really struggling to describe the energy that this character has in this moment because it is, it's a scene we've seen before in science fiction, right? This is Morpheus offering the deal to Neo mm-hmm. with the pills, except Morpheus plays it as a very intense scene with a lot on the line. And Wesley's Traveler character presents it with a sort of joyful enthusiasm that kind of bumped me out of the scene. And I would really like, I'm sure he's going to talk about it on the ready room afterwards. I would really like to know what the process was behind the vibe of this. You know what it kind of reminds me of actually is the performance of the traveler in those two episodes of TNG. Like that kind of like aloof positivity. Oh yes, this this could seem like magic to you. That kind of bliss. Yeah. Well, what I found so interesting about thinking about the traveler in those two episodes is that Wesley describes a job very similarly to the way Talon described her job, or Gary Seven talked about his responsibilities. Yeah, and it seems like they're part of the same organization. Like, But the Traveler never talked about himself that way. He was just a tourist yeah. observing the people on the Enterprise, and he took a shine to Wesley, like noticing him for his special skills. Like, This is the, the definitional retcon moment. Yeah, that the Traveler, yeah, no, it's absolutely a retcon that the Traveler and Gary Seven are part of one thing, but... uh... (laughs) How loudly did you what the fuck this moment? Because as soon as I saw it, I texted you and I was like, if you haven't seen this, I cannot believe what happens halfway through this episode. (laughs) Pretty loud. I mean, I knew that there was a loud what the fuck moment coming based on your, your text message. I did not see this one coming. Let's talk about this at the end also, but I am very curious about why the scene happens here Yeah, in the episode instead of at any other point also. Well, Corey has been such a small part of this whole season. She's had like, I don't know, three or four episodes where she ha- was probably fourth or fifth on the call sheet. Are you, aren't you more satisfied with the idea of her living her life, becoming a swim instructor and like, <laughs> and like being a normal there's something sad about this moment to me. Like, I, I want my last memory of her to be running away from Adam Sung and starting a new life, not being recruited into travelership. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like they need to find a way to get her into season three is probably what's at play here. Yeah. Is is my best guess. I mean, I mean, they all signed three season contracts. <laughs> uh, like, are they writing to contract? I I think that sometimes in TV you have to, you know? God, but uh, it's incredible. Yeah, Adam. I mean, the universe is a perfect, rich tapestry, but this episode is a hot mess. <laughs> Boy, I think uh, I think the traveler 
should be an executive producer on Star Trek Picard. (laughs) What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is going on? Run! Why? Go! Why? I'm trying to save you. This ship isn't going anywhere. Run! Why? Go! 
Why? I'm trying to save all of you. Who are you? So at the chateau, Rios is packing up all the gear that I guess they took out of Talon's quarters, like all of the things they refer to as butterflies. They got to yeah. make sure that those don't fall into anyone's hands. No one's going to go clean out the Borgs from the basement, <laughs> though. Those are going to stay. Those those are staying, but the tricorders and phasers have got to get hidden. What you're going to want to do is load up your trowel <laughs> with a good six inches of putty. <laughs> And in long, even strokes, just cover up those bog pots. We're going to put a nice thick coat on it and give it a couple days to set up. Then we're going to come back, sand it down, and put on a second skim coat. You got to cover up the Borgs, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're planning on staying, right? Like, they're, they yeah. don't have a ship, so they're like, we live here now. Uh, I guess we... Uh, I guess we got to make these gadgets scarce. How do you not make nothing but butterflies if you're staying in the past chateau yeah. and bunking down there? They got to go to that island that they were planning on going to in uh, First Contact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. What was that island called? See you on Gravetta Island. They've pretty much come to terms with the idea of staying and living in this time forever, in Los Angeles specifically. And while Rios wants to go to Los Angeles, it seems like the Chateau is also an option. Right. But he's kind of like pitching that to Raffi and Seven. Raffi and Seven get a little scene where Raffi is kind of saying like, hey, I know I've been kind of like hitting on you a lot in between having emotional meltdowns about Elnor (laughs) all season. I'm going to knock it off with that. I, I know I got a lot of like work to do on myself before I'm in like good working order for a relationship. I'm going to love an XB and let her go. Mm-hmm. That is all it took yeah. for that XB to lay one on her. Raffi backs away like, oh God, your shirt touched my shirt. And now, <laughs> now I have to change shirts too. Oh, there's all this like brown blood. Ugh. <laughs> oh, look at this. It's like powdery. It's, it's so dry now. I mean, Pretty significant moment for those who ship Raffi and Seven. Mm. Yeah. Very romantic moment between them. Yeah. Leave C slash Seven alone. Let J and C ship. <laughs> and then uh, Seven and Raffi can ship. You know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I couldn't have said it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> you are a cool school counselor, man. <laughs> You inspire me. Speaking of uh, getting putty on your trowel, Picard is uh, hiding his skeleton key for the chateau behind a brick for his young self to find in the distant future. And then Mock McCullough comes in and retips the brick wall. <laughs> that and more on today's episode of This Old House. <laughs> This is a heavy moment because he's creating the conditions for his future self to allow his mother to commit suicide. Yeah. And this prompts the return of Q to the chateau. Q is sitting in the uh, in the solarium. So let's recap. Yeah. Q flew from Labar to L.A. <laughs> to show up in that interrogation scene and then flew back to France in order to sit in the sunroom with Picard in this scene. Does Talon leaving mean he has snappy fingers back? I don't know. 
I mean, he doesn't have a power bar on screen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We just, we just don't know. We really need that kind of information. Yeah. We don't know whether he's charged up or not, but uh, this is another one of those scenes that I think is a very interesting essay on the relationship between Picard and Q. And the thrust of it is basically that while it is hard for Picard to understand this, Q really does have genuine fondness for him and- Q knows that he's dying and his kind of final act was to show Picard a way to forgive himself for the childhood trauma that he blamed on himself. This why me scene is just a great scene of two great actors chewing scenery. This is like peak stage play stuff. It's two chairs on a stage. Yeah. And it's two actors chopping it up. And I thought it was really beautiful. Like there's some stuff that I've been working on in therapy in the last couple of years that this particularly spoke to for me, which is like a feeling of guilt that I have carried with myself from my childhood. And that was like especially heavy to just see like discussed like this by, you know, two of my favorite actors playing two of the longest standing characters in my cosmology. But it's also just a really nicely written scene and a really nicely executed scene. Q isn't wearing the brooch anymore. Do you know why that is? Oh, no. I don't either. They like lose it? I mean, maybe that's how you know he's near the end. Yeah. He's he's starting to shuffle loose this mortal brooch. (laughs) Guess so. But I felt like it was maybe a little undercut by the next scene where Picard is like, well, everybody, I'm feeling much better. Come, I have a surprise. (laughs) Right. Let let me introduce you to the main threat of the entire season, which you have no context for. <laughs> and I'm not going to give you on our way out there. Right. Outside, Q is there to greet. Well, hello. Nice to see you all. And Raffi is seething about this because yeah. she has reasons to hate him. She holds him responsible for Elnor's death and Q accurately places the blame where it belongs. Yeah. Yeah. The idiot husband did that. Mm -hmm. He also suggests that uh, she may, in fact, be able to kill him by closing his throat up with her hand the way she's holding him. And uh, I just wanted to see the, like, nuclear fallout from from choking Q. Try not to kill him until we find out what he wants. I wonder if they auditioned different versions of this, like... What would have happened if Raffi punched him? Yeah. And how would that have felt to watch if if Delancey gets punched out of scene and then turns back to the camera and he's bleeding out of the corner of his mouth? Right. I might argue that that is a powerful image. Yeah. What if he had done the scene nude and we'd gotten to see that big old crank? Oh, man. Like he only has the energy to send them back in time. To where they belong he does not have the energy to make clothes anymore that's why the brooch is missing yeah the brooch is gone in the previous scene now the cloak is gone god and it's just a fucking snake it's just a <laughs> python so in this scene rios proposes sort of reverse dr jillianing he's gonna jump into the past and stay there This felt strange to me, not because it's a beautiful idea of Rios and Teresa and the kid starting a life, but because 
it's his idea and not Teresa's. Like you can tell she co-signs, mm-hmm. but dude, this is a lot of pressure to put on a new relationship <laughs> with with a woman and a kid that he met just a few days ago. Yeah, like, you barely know her, man. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> this is like it, it would have felt better if she were enthusiastic, but instead she kind of wordlessly sidles up into his nook. Yeah. She's like, is this how you do it? And Delancey's like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> That's how you hang out in a nook. Yeah. Uh. So uh, he gets a goodbye scene. Rios gets a goodbye scene with Picard and Raffi. And it's pretty emotional, especially with Raffi. Yeah. And because Rios doesn't go, Q refers to an amount of surplus energy that he's going to use for an unspecified gift before snapping his fingers and sending them all to the moment where Picard has called for auto-destruct from the first episode of the season. and Another milkhead time travel sequence, and then we're back in it. Right. He's telling everybody to stand down from shooting the BQ. If you remember, the Picard of this scene has made a number of tactical errors. <laughs> like, you remember how badly Picard conducted himself in these moments? And then for him to, in that scene, call for and then end auto-destruct. I think some reacts around the bridge would have been welcome. Yeah. Especially when he's like, computer, I'm going to ask you to end auto-destruct. But first, I'm going to drag my finger down metal tube that this Borg queen has shoved into this panel. I can feel the ridges under my fingernail. (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) Now I'm going to sit down in this nice leather captain's chair. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So he ends auto-distract. And asks the Borg's on the bridge to reveal themselves, knowing full well who it will be revealed to be. Yeah. I feel like Nana Borati could have saved herself a lot of trouble by just showing up without the bondage mask on. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> if it was just Gerardi's face, yeah. they'd have been like, oh, we, why do we recognize you? This is weird. Yeah, a little strange. Yeah. Someone asks on the bridge, where is Captain Rios? And... <laughs> I thought this was a very interesting question, given we know Rios, by the end of the episode, died hundreds of years ago. Yeah. What does that mean about this timeline? Is this a different timeline? Time travel. From that one? No, I think Because Rios shouldn't have... I guess Rios existed up until the point where he was moved back in time and then died there. So I guess, yeah, I guess that pencils out from their perspective. He just vanished from the bridge. Right. Huh? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But weird. And, and another thing that would be like really hard to like, I mean, where's Gerardi? Same question then. Yeah. She went back to the past and has been alive for 400 years as a Borgs. Right. But a friendly Borgs. Sure. What about the other Borgs? Has she been in contact with them or is she not? There is so much we don't know. Did this prevent Wolf 359? No way. No, it certainly didn't. No, yeah. Everything that happened up until now in the timeline still happened. Everything that happened, happened. Yeah. (laughs) 
Right. Everything that's in the show is in the show. I feel like on the whiteboard in the writer's room, that's the top line thing. Yeah. In, yeah. in big blue dry erase marker, everything that happened, happened. <laughs> so, but is this like a, a different faction of Borgs? Yes, it is. It's the, it's the Borgs that Nana Gerardi proposed to Nana Borgs, like yeah. Borgs, but a choice. Bor- yeah, cool Borgs, chill Borgs. Right, yeah. So she's like, hey, you're not going to believe this. There's 11 minutes left in this season of Star Trek Colin Picard. What if I told you that there was a giant space anomaly that's going to destroy everything right now? Come on! DMA! Would you be interested <laughs> in an entire season of Star Trek Discovery in the last 10 minutes of this episode of Star Trek Picard? <laughs> what does this thing want? DMA! We need the shields of the ships that responded to this Borg's emergency and the Borg ship to team up to make a super shield to prevent a space disaster. And we could do it right now as long as you'll trust me to take remote control of all the other ships. Can you trust me? And Picard's like, well, uh, I'm not going to make it up to me. Seven is now captain of the Stargazer. (laughs) And I think it's poignant that it's Seven that gives the order. Seven is like, do not resist the Borgs. Like, give all your control to them. Nothing could be further from non-futile. (laughs) <laughs> now see like <laughs> like the futility I'm sure you're all feeling a great sense of that in this moment but I just want you I want to encourage you to also not resist either like I know I know your Starfleet training is probably really bubbling up yeah, right yeah. now I want you to, to suppress those two ideas and instead give yourself over yeah let them Use your technological and biological distinctiveness for their own, you know, just for a little while. There's always one ship that fucks it up, Ben. There's always, like, in every episode of Star Trek where ships need to make a web. Yeah. There's one dot on the grid that's fallen behind. Mm -hmm. This time it's the fucking Excelsior. And they're like, God damn it. That bucket of bulls. Who's captain of that ship? On screen. Who is the fucking captain of the Excelsior right now? (laughs) It's not the captain who FaceTimes. It's Elnor who appears, and he's as confused as anyone as to why he's there. I just assumed that they put the Excelsior under the command of uh, a cadet. Ladies and gentlemen, the great experiment. (laughs) Elnor's got a riding crop in one hand. <laughs> Oi, why am I here? And what is this roiding crop? This seat won't let me get up. It's clamped itself around me. <laughs> I mean, if there is a a montage of great moments in ADR history <laughs> throughout the decades, this is right up near the top. Yeah. This is an incredibly hubristic moment of ADR because we get uh <laughs> We get two characters not facing the camera explaining why we're seeing this. And Picard finally goes, What did he call it? A surprise. A gift. And this is ADR so egregious. It sounds like he recorded this on a patio. It's like it just does not match. He like record he made a voice memo on his iPhone and emailed it yeah. to production. 
Yeah, this is we're out on tour and we can't record the ad in studio. Mm. <laughs> this episode of Star Trek Picard is sponsored by Squarespace. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of this? <laughs> I mean, at this point, I am so just along for the ride. Like this episode has taken the m- most mind-shattering twists and turns that I'm like not even in a critical frame of mind anymore. I'm just like, yeah, give it to me. Do whatever you want, episode. It's almost like a Michael Bay film at this point. Like yeah. it's compressing so much tension and action into a moment that by the time you scrutinize one thing, it's already five things ago. Yeah, that was five things ago. <laughs> We're on to a whole different, like, now the thing is shooting a flame butthole at the- That wasn't promised in the report. Like, I thought this was just a galaxy-eating space butthole. Now it's shooting ejecta. (laughs) And then it goes blue, and Nana Barati's like, cool, so this is a transwarp conduit. Something super evil is probably going to come through. So I want to be a member of the Federation so that I can just hang out here and keep an eye on this thing. If you could just give us a stool to sit on, and we'll just kind of watch the shop. (laughs) Forever. A Federation issue stool, specifically. We know from Allison Pill, she's not coming back for season three. This is the conclusion to that story. Wow. It's incredible. (laughs) Did you love the the cut around to non-specific react shots from places on Earth? Like, that's a very Michael Bay quality, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're watching this bright light in the sky. I couldn't tell if that was Earth or just, like, planets in the sector. But, yeah. Maybe. It felt like, you know, cutting to planets (laughs) in the Star Wars universe after the Death Star gets blown up kind of a moment. Picard's like, you know, members of the Federation have to come to meetings. Are are you going to be doing that? (laughs) And she's like, no, but I am going to play this song. And she hits play and it's Yub Nub. (laughs) Uh, Would you like a button on this episode, Ben? Because here it comes. Button my season up, baby. It's at 10 forward where we get Guinan Prime. Once again, played by Whoopi Goldberg. Disclosing to Picard that she knew all of this the entire time. None of this was a surprise to her. She could have spoiled it, but it would have meant barfing. And You know, I wondered if it was going to be a bit of a spoiler. There's a picture of Rios and Teresa up in the bar. They did what you predicted. They had a hospital. They they helped lots of people. I won a lot of money on this episode. Yeah. God, a ton. All I do is... Bets, bets, bets. Rios died in a bar fight with a cigar in his mouth. Why are they celebrating this story? I think that is awful. (laughs) Well, he was fighting for medical supplies, Adam. Teresa died of old age, which suggests that Rios died before her in a bar fight. What an awful thing. By a long time. Yeah. And best of all, his last breath was into a cigar. That's not something to celebrate. She was probably shattered by that. But what there is to celebrate is that Ricardo saved the planet using... An invention based on the discoveries made by Rene Picard. Mm-hmm. So it's really a family affair saving the planet. And also, who wants Jaeger? <laughs> <laughs> Which is what Picard brings back to the table where Raffi, Seven, and Elnor are sitting. Guinan is not invited to join them at the table. Guinan stays at the bar. Yeah. She's not going to get up for them. Come on. 
There's a uh, reference in the score here that I thought was nice, which was the first contact theme woven into the score. I noticed that. That was really nice. I don't know about you, but that moment in the score, I've always found very sad sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of elegiac as he's talking about uh, yeah. them being a family and Elnor drinking his first shot of Jaeger. <laughs> yeah. We all remember our first shot of Jaeger. <laughs> yeah. And we, re- we remember the single brass instrument that played when we took it. <laughs> the single brass instrument of Jaeger, one of the one of the main brass instruments of my <laughs> early 20s. Picard has just enough time to get back to the chateau before Laris bounces forever and just enough time to propose that sometimes people need a second chance. Like, for example, if the second season of their television show was a giant mess. (laughs) Like a lot of really good episodes and great scenes within the episodes. But in the end, just like, what was that? I mean, Laris is ready to go. That's what she tells Picard. Her bags are packed. She's off to go on adventures of her own. And, And the case Picard makes is for the second chance, as you say. He does all the talking. And again, this is a scene where Orla Brady, instead of being given dialogue, is made to communicate her feelings, the feelings of an entire page of dialogue with just an expression. And I think on the one hand, Orla Brady is uniquely able to do that. Yeah. She is great. She's really good at that. But man, did I want to hear more of what she had to say about this? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we can see her lips moving as the camera pulls back through the window. That's what and, I'm saying. And flies away. And, and it's like maddening not to hear her Don't take. Don't to the wide shot now. Like an entire season of television, she has been owed this apology and uh, would be perfectly justified in being too mad to say yes to him in this moment. Right. But we don't Ooh. get to hear what she says. And as we tilt up to the Milky Way, that is the end of season two of Star Trek Picard, Ben. Did you like (laughs) the season finale episode? (laughs) There is a bad movie podcast on the Maximum Fun Network called The Flophouse. Uh Uh, We're big fans of theirs. We made a special bonus episode with them. Fans and friends, Ben. This is like uh, agent friend. Yeah. I was texting with Dan McCoy this morning. We're great buddies with those guys. And um, I mean, I, sometimes I text with them too, Ben. You're going to <laughs> have to throw that in my face. But uh, the rubric they use when they review a movie that is either a commercial or a critical failure is, uh, is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like? I feel like this is a good, bad episode. All right. This is an episode that, like, we talk about 10 pounds of episode in a five-pound bag. This is, like, 65 pounds of episode in a five-pound bag. So much fucking shit happens in this episode. It feels like they wanted to have 13 episodes this season, and they're like, shit, I guess we only have one more. Let's just do everything that would be in episodes 10, 11, 12, and 13 in this last one. It's incredible. Let's justify as little of it as possible because we don't have time for justifications and let's just get it done. (laughs) Like, I think that in, in many ways, what I respect most about this episode, aside from the fact that it's like incredibly entertaining, 
is that they actually endeavored to tie threads off at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there were so many things I was wondering about after this season, and they're like, actually, there's a totally random, unbelievable explanation for that, and here it is. <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of amazing in a way. I guess in conclusion, I would say that the majority of the episodes in this season of Star Trek Picard I really liked. I feel like they didn't really deserve this ending. Like the last two episodes mm. have just felt like such a giant mess. And so obviously not what they probably had planned initially. Yeah. But that being said, I had a lot of fun, a lot more fun watching this one than the last one. And so I am having a hard time being mad at it. You brought to mind something that happened on Twitter last week among some of the creative types involved in new Star Trek, uh-huh. which someone said something shitty <laughs> to new Star Trek, one of the accounts or whatever. Yeah. And someone hopped into the mentions and said something like, you don't know the challenges we were dealing with creatively. You don't know the constraints we had to rise to the challenge of. Yeah. You just don't know what we intended to make and how it's different from what actually got made. And that is true for every creative project that's ever been made. Yeah, absolutely. So on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, obviously. That is a defense against a shitty comment. But I think you're still obligated toward coherence. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I agree with you, Ben. I could not wipe the smile off of my face this entire episode, but I smile my way through a lot of Michael Bay movies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And I was delighted and horrified that all of my predictions came true in this final episode. I think... Are you clear on why things played out the way they did narratively? And by that, I mean... I want to go back to that scene where Picard and Q are sitting down in, in the atrium. And it is suggested in that scene that the point was for both Q and Picard not to die alone. Yeah. If that was the point of this, was this whole thing for Q's amusement after all? Was it a game to him? Because the, like the game terminology was used a whole bunch early on in the season and none of it in this episode. I mean... Yeah, like I think that the snarky dunk that you could have on this season is it was an entire season of television about Q just having needed a hug this whole time. Right. And and I loved that moment. I liked the hug. I thought that the hug was- I was affected by it. Was beautiful. So like I'm not here for the snarky dunk. I think that the writing in that scene is some of the best in the whole season. And the idea that- Q would be experiencing some kind of despair and also like toying with Picard is his like favorite thing to do. So I just will make that his last act. Yeah. Is like a very Q thing to do. Which moment did you find more moving though? Q's death or Picard's fresh start? Because my answer is Q's death. Yeah. And it's not even particularly close. And I wonder if that represents a success or a failure on the season's part. Do you think that was the intent? 
I can't even imagine what the intent is. I think that yeah. the like the story you told about the the Twitter interaction only confirms what has kind of crept into my suspicions the entire season, which is like I think that they probably thought Avery Brooks was going to be in it, and it seems like he wasn't for some reason. I think they thought that there would be a lot more Bajor stuff in this, and there wasn't. I would be fascinated to read the first draft of season two's scripts and see what they shot that they had to throw away because there was just no way to like close the circle on stories and and rewrite around right it is very hard to imagine what they even had going (laughs) i mean (laughs) i'm really torn ben because it was a unique and challenging year for everyone in very unusual ways and most productions went through problems similar to what Picard went through. I mean, I've also delivered projects that I felt were not my first choices with a lot of things that ended up on screen. And sometimes you just run out of runway. And like Lauren Michael says, like they don't do the show because it's ready. They do the show because it's 1130. Right. And I am reluctant to overly criticize this show for all the challenges it went to, but also... But also, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do the Will Wheaton scene. (laughs) If I'm Will Wheaton, I want to do that scene, though. Like, that's what's so fucked up. It's like, yes, enthusiastically, yes, I want to be back in the game. And And all the, like, what about people on Twitter that shit themselves when they announced that the main cast was coming back for season three, but didn't announce that Will Wheaton was coming back for season three. Got what they wanted. They got their num-num. I would love to understand the differences between uh, what they were going for and what they got this season. I think that would be just a fascinating documentary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I'll close with is just that I think that if you have a a hot mess and you know that it's really not what you planned on, like making your North Star be that it is really fun to watch as a worthy North Star to make. And they totally succeeded in episode 10. That is a great summary of, I think, uh, both of our thoughts on this final episode of the second season. Well, do you want to see if there's any Priority One messages in our inbox, Adam? Looks like we got a couple. Oh, boy. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Our first one is a personal message and it's from Zach the Braun Brager to the friends of DeSoto in Utah and it goes like this <laughs> hey I'm putting together a crew we're going to steal the double dumbass tour <laughs> we're gonna fix all their flights and bribe all the drivers so Ben and Adam will think they're in Boston but in reality they'll be in a warehouse in Utah we've designed to look like Boston so what do you think you in Wait, where did I send this? Oh, shit. <laughs> Tell you what, if you fix up a place in Utah to look like Boston, you better have a lot of wine there because Boston was the wine show this year. That was the wine show. Every tour has a wine show. Every tour has a leather show. We had the Gruner on stage. We did. Taking the Gruner to the dome. Yeah, it was good. Good yeah. Groon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Zach Brager. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for being such a frequent supporter of 
the show via P1. Yeah. Uh, the season of Picard. We really appreciate you. Indeed. Probably never hear from them again. Yeah, no, I doubt it. Ben, our second priority one message is from Zach the Bully Breaker. <laughs> and it is to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. All right, you goobers, listen up. Here's the deal. You're going to do a live show in the SLC area. And until you do, you're getting P1 sandwiches. <laughs> I'm holding you up by your ankles. But instead of stealing your money, I'm just stuffing your pockets with P1s <laughs> until I get what I want. Understand? This is how bullying works, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it, Zach. Wow. I, I, Best bully I ever had, Zach Rager. I wish all my bullies behaved the way Zach <laughs> Yeah. Man, we should look into an SLC show. That would be really fun. Yeah. I would like to go to there. You know, we uh, we planned a very like limited tour this year, but we may have an announcement that uh, folks in cities we didn't get to go to will be excited to hear in the not-too-distant future. Oh, really? Maybe. All right. I'm not making any promises. Can't do that. I mean, sometimes, Ben, mm. you, you attempt to succeed in a thing, and then you just get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be satisfied with the effort, right? Right, right. Sometimes it's the thought that counts. You'll never know the challenges yeah. that we faced. Well, if you want to make some of those challenges feel just a little bit less challenging, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get yourself a P1 today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. I mean, a lot of choices, I bet. Oh, my God. How do you narrow it down? I think I'm going to go with... Talon, just for the floaty digital ear scene. Mm. I'm going to say, hey, Talon, if you're going to unmask yourself to Picard, go ahead and only unmask yourself partway. You can stay human presenting for that last moment. Nobody's going to be distracted by that. Did Iman die at the end of Star Trek VI during the prison escape? Yeah, I think she did. Yeah, I think she did too. Yeah. would have been funny if it was Iman. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Shouldn't Talon's eyes have been green and not red when uh, she was dying of the neurotoxin also? Boy, her eyes were extremely red in that scene in a yeah. way that looked painful. Yeah, it looked it looked rough. Yeah. Was that also digital? If so, the effect was better than the ears. Yeah, yeah. But it should have been green. Got to make that yeah. green. Yeah. So uh, I think she's my Edward Larkin for this episode. Uh, mine's going to be Rios. I think choosing to stay behind <laughs> on the bet of a fulfilling relationship based yeah. on three days. <laughs> I mean, I, I am a degenerate gambler, mm -hmm. Ben, but uh, the heart is too high a stakes for me. Wow. I don't wow. gamble with the heart. You don't go all in on relationship? <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> That stabbed me in the heart, Ben. <laughs> now I think that is a, uh, it's amazing the choice he makes. And it's really sad what happens to him, even though it's treated as some noble victory. Yeah. So I think uh, I was, boy, I was tempted to give it to Wesley Crusher, but it's going to go to Rios wow. in my mind. Well, great Edward Larkins, a really wild season of Star Trek Picard. 
Wesley Crusher pulls his hands from below frame with a red and a blue pill and both hands are three fingered. <laughs> Corey's like, oh, <laughs> I don't want either pill. If you're going to be a traveler, you're going to have these hands. <laughs> She's like, all right, I'm going to do the swim instructor thing. Yeah. <laughs> Even though those hands would actually be very advantageous if you were a swim instructor. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I'd rather have not those hands. Right. Um, and next week, we're going to be back on Strange New Worlds here on The Greatest Discovery. Yeah. And uh, folks that listen to the credits will get a little peek at what's next. Hey, thanks to all of our guest producers. We appreciate every one of them. Absolutely. Maybe most of all, our very own expert Shimoda producer, Wendy Pretty. Yeah, Wendy's going to take it from here. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks for a great season, everyone. The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week, we'll be back with a review of Strange New Worlds, Episode 2. It's called Children of the Comet. While on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet that's going to strike an inhabited planet. They try to reroute the comet, only to find that an ancient alien relic buried on the comet's icy surface is somehow stopping them. As the away team try to unlock the relic's secrets, Pike and Number One deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent the USS Enterprise from interfering. Thanks to Adam Ragusea for all the original music that we use on this show. Check out his new podcast and his very popular YouTube cooking channel. And thanks also to Bill Tilly, who handles all the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek, and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.